Now streaming, the Netflix and Swill podcast. and ghouls welcome to dead flicks and kills your source for netflix cautious scary scares of bad movies so here's here's the important thing we're going to talk about uh guillermo del toro's cabinet of curiosities today and the most important thing is that uh in one of the episodes the guy who plays fucking Carlton in Cautionary Tales of Swords is a part of the episode, like in a major part of the episode. Oh, Christ. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, that's him. I can't believe he's a real human being in Hollywood right now. I'm so happy. <laughs> so. I'm feeling a bit out of sorts because it's I guess this is our Halloween episode Mm -hmm. recording the day before Halloween coming out the day after, but it counts. It's the first time in like four or five years that we're doing a Halloween episode that we don't have Corey on. Oh, no, this is the first time. Uh, Yeah, and and we can blame his job entirely. His job uh, is somehow worse than your job when it comes to ours. <laughs> so uh, that that kid needs to be able to do shit. So he's off doing shit. Also, he's uh, working on marriage stuff. Oh, oh, yes. Good he's for getting him. married. Yeah. Uh, private ceremony. Uh, by private, I mean, like, basically family. Of which uh, I am not, apparently, you know, despite knowing the man for 20 years. Is Not it uh, like an arranged marriage deal or does she know yes. about it or? Uh, OK, no, she, she definitely doesn't know. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it's, that's what's going on with him. So that's what he's doing. Believe me, I thought about it and I was like, hey, do you want to do it? He's like, no. And I'm like, OK, that's fine. It was always allowed. Well, cool. Uh, but that's enough about Corey. How are you? Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, yesterday, as of recording, was my 36th birthday. My God, you're ancient. It's true. I did some day drinking at home (laughs) by myself. Uh, and then in the evening, my wife took me to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. So I got to yell things at the screen. But it's not the ultimate theater-going experience. You didn't throw footballs in the hallway, throw spoons at the the, the screen, you know. <laughs> I've never been to a showing of, of the room. I didn't... I don't really know what all they get into, but I'm sure it's wild. Yeah, I need to see the movie first before that happens. Uh, mm-hmm. and then And then I'll go to a screening, because, like, I feel like your first experience, like if your first, not well, because it's not my first experience with the movie. Because uh, famously, I've I watched the first like fifteen minutes or so uh, on Adult Swim one night for their April Fool's Day joke, 
and just went, what the fuck is this? I'm going to bed. Uh, and then, uh, if, you know, since then, hearing all about it and how people love it, uh, I just feel like going to that kind of theater experience would taint you forever anytime <laughs> you you watch the movie. So uh, I'd rather watch it first by myself or with people that aren't throwing spoons at my television. <laughs> and then go experience insanity. I don't know. Have you ever been to Rocky Horror? No. It's uh it's fun. It's uh, you know, just a bunch of people acting like assholes yelling at the movie cuz like uh it's it's a musical and like between some of the lines of dialogue there's like pregnant pauses and uh so it's like kind of a call and response thing. Like there's people who know the movie well, there's certain things you say like in response to uh things the characters say. Okay. So like there's um there's like a part where all the characters like it's it's doing jump cuts to each character and they're like saying somebody else's name. So it's like Brad, Janet, Dr. Scott, Rocky, and then everybody yells Bullwinkle and uh, oh. shit like that. Okay. And then, uh, I don't know, you get like uh, a bag of props. So there's like at the beginning of the movie, there's a wedding. Uh, it's like everybody throws rice in the air and you just get fucking blasted in the head with rice for about 30 seconds. And then, uh, there's like a part where like a character proposes a toast and everybody pulls a piece of fucking toast out of their prop bag and whips it out into the audience. And sure, sure. Uh, it's fun. It's fun and stupid and it was a good time and it was stupid and fun. I would have to shoot myself if I worked at that movie theater (laughs) and they told me, hi, you're cleaning up that theater. Yeah. I, I imagine they factor that into the ticket prices on it. So what? Hey, uh, that does sound like a wild time if you're into it, but, uh, I don't know. I don't know if those kind of theater experiences are for me. Uh, I already get upset when people fucking talk during a movie normally. Yeah. That's the thing. If you're a person who's into Rocky Horror, you've already seen it 30 times and you're going there for that. So I want uh, a hyped up screening of Independence Day with just a bunch of Independence Day super fans. Uh, (laughs) There are literally dozens of us. It's it's a pretty unique movie going experience. I don't know. I would recommend it to anybody who. Uh, doesn't think that it sounds like a giant pain in the ass, so. <laughs> so, you know, not me. That's true. Uh, what about you? What have you been doing with yourself? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, Destiny 2, uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 just came out on Friday. Been playing a little bit of that. Uh, my first game, I was, uh, how you say, complete fucking garbage. I like I couldn't control there, the recoil on a gun. Haven't yes. there been like three other like, Modern Warfare yes. twos? Correct. This is a new reboot of Modern Warfare two. There was the Modern Warfare two that came out in two thousand nine, which is a sequel to Modern Warfare. But don't get either of those confused with the two thousand seventeen or ni- t- two thousand nineteen Modern Warfare, uh, which has the sequel of twenty twenty two's Modern Warfare two. Don't get confused. So I've I've always hated Call of Duty. And part of it is because of their naming scheme, because like if they just did like 
you know, one, two, three, four, five, whatever. This would be like Call of Duty 26. Something like that. But uh, instead, like to try to keep it fresh, they'll do like, you know, Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, Ghosts, Ghosts 2, like Black Ops, Black Cold Ops, yeah. Advanced Warfare. I know, I know them all. The reason they do that, it's the same reason why Monster Hunter World wasn't called Monster Hunter 5. Uh, it's a marketing tactic so that Correct. people don't feel like they have to go back and play all the previous ones to be able yep. to jump in. That's why all the so. Pokemon games are the same way. Mm-hmm. That's why Pokemon Legends Arceus was uh, their second Pokemon game. Because red, blue, gold, silver, crystal, you know, ruby, sapphire, diamond, pearl, platinum, emerald. Uh, it's it's all one game. Yeah. I'm I'm actually sure you could program them all into one game. That'd be fa- that'd be actually fantastic. We're, we you know as Pokemon fans, we're waiting for this, but th- I feel like that's their final gambit. Is like, hey, we're not selling enough copies of Pokemon. Let's just cram all of our fucking continents into one game and make a massive <laughs> game that we know every Pokemon fan wants, and therefore we'll come back to play this game. But then they wouldn't be able to sell it to you five times. That's true. Are you aware of like how Satoru Iwata was like one of the actually the best programmers of all time? Oh, you mean how he uh, fixed all the bugs for gold, silver, and then uh, condensed the memory down so much that they were able to tack on all of Kanto to the yeah, second half? Yeah, so of the game? like, yeah, because he wanted you to be able to go to like the area from the first game. So like, they were like, oh, there's no way it'll fit on a memory card for a, a Game Boy. Uh, so he rewrote the entire game in assembly code so that you could fit it in. What a G. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Call of Duty's fun. Uh, after I figured out how to aim this one particular gun, uh, everything clicked. Uh, I'm not awful at it anymore. I'm back when to When I being... tried it with butter, everything changed. I'm, I'm not even, uh, don't even do the corn thing. I want to kill myself every time you hear the fucking corn thing. It's not even funny. It's like the least funny it's thing cone. I've heard. In, it's the least funny thing on the internet. <laughs> like, it's so unfunny. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as I fixed my aim with the, with the one gun, because I just couldn't aim with it. I was just aiming with it, and I was missing every shot. Uh, now I'm better, so it's all fine now. All right. Uh, I think that brings us into a segment called What's Your Swill? Can we please get some alcohol into my mouth? He hates these cans! Stay away from the cans! I guess uh, from your silence, I'm taking that as a cue for me to go first. I'm having a truly mango chili margarita style hard seltzer. We talked about this before. Uh, this is the worst of the four flavors, so I'm getting rid of it first so I don't have to endure it. It's 112, 110 calories and 12 ounces. Uh, contains 2% juice. It has the juice. And it's 5.3% alcohol. Yeah. Mango good, chili less good. Chili less good. Chili make, chili make thing taste terrible. Yeah. Somehow. I I understand what they were going for, but I don't know. They missed. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I was at the grocery store. And uh, I found at the grocery store this Pepsi Cola soda shop 
uh cream soda zero sugar cream soda cola uh i like my zero sugar shit uh, so that way i can drink it without feeling like a complete uh piece of shit so uh or it, or it, you could just get three 12 packs of mountain dew and drink them in a day and a half i mean i could do that uh and then go into a diabetic shock and die that's what i used to do but yeah. uh not anymore it's like you thought you had the winning bottle cap in your can of slurm, but it turned out it was just another tooth. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's delicious. It tastes like cream soda. Mostly like it tastes like 85% of a cream soda, which is just there enough you when you have no sugar. Do you know Futurama well enough to get that reference? No. I don't know if I just said like some cryptic shit that you'll. No, no, okay. I'm aware of slurm and I'm, I'm aware that Fry probably drank a million slurms. Yeah. He's Slurms McKenzie, the original party worm. Wiggity wham wham wazzle. Futurama's fine. That's my hot take of the episode. Futurama's fine. Yeah. All right. Uh, with that, let's get into some things that are not fine in the news. Oh, shit, it's mail time. In, in Dead Show news... Uh, Netflix announced that Henry Cavill would leave the Witcher series after the third season to be replaced by Liam Hemsworth in season four. This comes off on off the heels of an interview with ex writer Bo DeMaio DeMaio saying that many writers on the show hate the source material. Uh, they probably should switch jobs. Yes, we all uh, I think I think most people agree with that, actually. So. A few things. Uh, WB must be really serious about having Henry, Henry Cavill be Superman again to get him to leave the Witcher. Switching, like recasting the main character this late in the ballgame. I'm, I'm pretty sure this just kills the show. This kills the Witcher. This, this kills the crab. Using sharp scissors, cut the crab's face off. This kills the crab. Uh, that's from a WikiHow article on how to cook crabs, and uh, rather than throw alive? them in, yeah, instead of just like throwing them in the pot alive, you just the humane thing to do is use very sharp scissors to cut their face off and sever the brainstem. So there you go. I don't know about that. Yeah, if you throw a, a crab into a pot of boiling water, they are still alive for a bit and feel everything. Uh, do not do that. Also, don't eat crabs because overfishing is destroying the environment. Yeah, there's a, a particular salmon type that's, uh, or no, it's the it's the crab type. It's something like yeah, uh, Alaska around Alaska. Yeah, like the we can't fish. Like the the show Deadliest Catch. Like their entire crab fishing season got canceled this year because a billion crabs are missing that were expected to be there. Yep. Thanks, overfishing. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you brought up the, the the couple points that uh, are are salient. Here are my here are my three reasons I see this happening. I tweeted this out too. Uh, one, Henry Cavill is too expensive. I don't see that really being a problem. This is The Witcher we're talking yeah. about. It's one of both of its seasons are in the top ten most watched seasons for a Netflix show, uh, English language Netflix show ever. So like I don't I don't see him being too expensive for them to afford. Uh, two, Henry Cavill is too busy. Uh, and that applies to the Superman thing you were talking about. Although, like, I don't, even if he's doing a Superman movie every, what, two years, three years, 
And they still only need him for like three months of shooting. Like, you're telling me The Witcher can't get around that? Like, can't schedule around him doing Superman? And I, and I'm, I don't particularly buy that one. Yeah. Uh, the one that I think has the most amount of legs is Henry Cavill is too much of a know-it-all, and it's making the writing room mad. And he's mad at the writing room. Yeah, because Henry Cavill insisted on playing Geralt. He wasn't so much cast as he said, I will raise heaven and earth to the ground uh, if you do not let me be in this thing. Yeah. Kind of like Ryan Reynolds with Deadpool. It's just like he give he really cares about it. And he's like, it's me. I'm the guy. Make me the guy. Um, I don't know. At least it isn't the third Hemsworth brother whose name escapes me. I. Yeah, I don't know who that is. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the, the final piece. But like, so my, my third reason is Luke. Luke Hemsworth. Uh, yes. So my third reason splits off into two things. It's either Henry Cavill left the show of his own volition because he's tired of them bastardizing, bastardizing the source material. Or the writers are like, we've had enough of this man changing what we're doing on the fly. Uh, mm. Please bring in somebody who will actually work with the source material or like not the source material, but like what we're giving him to work with. Yeah. And and Henry was like, hashtag not my Witcher. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I heard this and immediately posted the gif of uh, him going, hmm, fuck. Yeah. It's probably the death of the show, but what I'd be interested to see is, does the show feel a bit more cohesive after he leaves? Because there's always been like this push and pull in Geralt scenes where it feels like Geralt is in another fucking show when when uh, he's doing stuff. And so now if Luke Hemsworth comes in, or not Luke, but with Liam. Uh, <laughs> I ruined you. You ruined it. Uh, if Liam Hemsworth comes in and doesn't push back, do they? Do the writers just get to do whatever they want, and we just see whether or not they have what they think they have? I almost wonder if the show is going to be better, or like not from a source material like faithfulness standpoint, but like just quality wise. If the show being more cohesive makes it better. Yeah, I don't know. The The thing that I keep thinking back to is Altered Carbon, because obviously they recast the main character for the second season of that. But they also like along with that came a huge tonal shift and the show just wasn't good after the first season. I would argue it wasn't good during the first season either. Well, that's true. Um, it was it was it was more not good. I was yes. going to say less good, but more not good is more accurate. So, uh, as for Liam, uh, I feel bad for this guy. He is not like he's 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 not going to deserve the hate he's going to get because he's not going to play Geralt like Henry Cavill does, uh, and people are going to complain about that, and he's going to he's just going to get abused for it. And I I feel bad for him because he's getting in, he's getting put in a position that he probably shouldn't be put in. I don't know. We'll see how he fills out the bathtub and then, uh, you know, then I'll make a decision on it. Yeah. So, yes. uh, Is the Witcher dead? Maybe. We'll see. 
I'm actually interested to see what the viewership numbers look like for season three. Because I've seen people online, of course. No, this is people online, so who, who the fuck knows what's going on? Say that they're never going to watch the show now that they know Henry Cavill won't be back. Like, they won't even watch season three. So, all right. Uh, our next story is that Peacock's Girls 5 Eva has been picked up for a third season by Netflix only in the U.S. Uh, the series stars Sarah Bareilles, Busy Phillips, Paula Pell, and Renee Elise Goldsberry as the title, uh, as the titular Girls 5 Eva, a 90s girl group with a one-hit wonder who get a second chance at stardom when an up-and-coming rapper samples their song. I felt I should include the synopsis of the show and people who are in it uh, because that is important. Caleb, do you care? I don't. That's fair. I don't know. It's just interesting seeing Netflix reviving something from a different network that uh, isn't doing well. Yeah. Peacock is uh, doing very poorly. So. On on this, you've written four names of ladies. Yes. Uh, so who is the fifth girl Eva? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. Because I just went with the four, the first four ladies. Because after the first four ladies, it was just a bunch of dudes. So who? So unless, unless they have. I mean, the 90s to now is a long time for somebody to potentially be depersoned. That's what I'm saying. Or one of the the five, one of the girls is uh, a, a man now, which is also possible. It's also possible. But I don't know for sure. I've never seen the show. I'm uh, completely unfamiliar with it. Uh, but the poster has just those four women on it, uh, which uh, notably Sarah Bareilles is actually a pop singer. Hmm. I don't care enough to dig into this mystery. Yeah. Uh, thoughts are that this will be similar to Cobra Kai and you where Netflix revives something that was uh, somewhat popular on another streaming service and takes it to the next level. Yeah. All right. Uh, our last story this week is that a lawmaker in Korea is alleging that Netflix is dodging local taxes over the past three years. Netflix Korea has transferred 77.8% of its revenue to Netflix's California headquarters as commission fees. This has led to Netflix Korea only paying anywhere from 03 to 0.5% of its sales as taxes. Uh, I can't wait for this to be a plot point on season two of Extraordinary Attorney Wu. <laughs> uh, or in Squid Game. And it, it turns out that Netflix is the one funding the Squid Game uh, because they're not paying the taxes in, in Korea. That's that's pretty meta because Netflix actually is the one funding Squid Game. I know. I can't believe that huge corporation would launder money. Uh, yes, I, I also can't believe that huge corporation who has an entire tax department dedicated towards finding tax loopholes has found a tax loophole in order to exploit to keep more of their money. That's most likely it. it if it's to, nah. it, believe me, it's definitely possible that Netflix is just is funneling money in a way that is actually laundering. But more than likely, it is just them following the rules that have been laid in that country to make more money and keep more money. 
because that is what the tax department is for. If the tax department didn't do that, the tax department wouldn't be good at their jobs and therefore wouldn't get paid. One of their accountants suddenly, like, air started blowing on their face, their hair blew back, and they saw an image of a whale in their head. And they were like, what if we uh, transfer our money as commission fees? (laughs) (laughs) Netflix Korea uh, hires autistic tax analysts in order to funnel more money into the company. If you haven't watched Extraordinary Attorney Wu, you're, you're not doing it right. Also, yeah. don't watch the English dub because it's bad. No, don't do that. So, I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is a non-story because I feel like this happens with every company in every country around the world. Like, you pick a company, pick a country. They probably have had tax dodging allegations thrown against them in that country. So, uh, all I say to countries is if you want companies to pay their fair share in taxes, Change the fucking laws. Yeah. Maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know how it works currently. Uh, I assume they just make a tax, like they pay tax on whatever their income is within that country. But maybe instead for like multinational corporations, you tax them on it whenever they transfer the money back to the parent corporation instead of like when they make the money, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to look at like the law around that. Again, that's not my it that's not my area of expertise. My area of expertise is the actual paying of people. Yeah. I wouldn't even say I'm an expert in that either, but uh that's that's the area that I'm most familiar with. All right. Um downstream. Uh it's the segment where we watch trailers. Let's do it now. Baby, I can't control the internet. That's my favorite line! Uh, our first trailer is for a docu-series? Yep, docu-series for some reason. Called Pepsi, Where's My Jet? The year was 1996, and the cola wars were raging. Pepsi needed something huge to compete with Coke, so they rolled out their biggest campaign ever, Pepsi Stuff. It featured a soon-to-be infamous commercial... That claimed for 7 million Pepsi points, you could win a Harrier jet, one of the most advanced military jets of the time. Pepsi execs assumed the astronomical price of the military plane was high enough to indicate it was a joke, but ambitious and cunning college student John Leonard uh, saw it as a challenge, enlisting the help and funding of mountaineering buddy Todd Hoffman, the 21-year-old, hashed out a plan to score the grandest prize of all. What ensues is an outrageous goose chase for the infamous Harrier jet and a legal battle with Pepsi that changed advertising forever. Uh, When a 20-year-old attempts to win a fighter jet in a Pepsi sweepstakes, he sets the stage for a David versus Goliath court battle for the history books. Uh, This is so fucking stupid. Dan, what do you think of this trailer? Um, It's a stupid overall thing, uh, and also it features my... Uh, least favorite documentary style, which is, you know, anything that's basically ha- been happening since like 2019 onward, where it's just this, like, just so nonchalant. Where, yeah, where the narrator's like, and he knew that he would have to do this, and then it cuts to the guy. He's like, oh, so I did the opposite of that. And the narr- narrator's like, oh, well then. Yeah, uh, I just want to, I, I want to like crash my car into oncoming traffic anytime I hear that. Like, it's just awful. Just, just stop doing it. 
there's better ways of 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 making documentaries than this that stupid fucking style um yeah. but I, I the story's crazy i i like the story uh i i've read enough about the story so i'm more than familiar with it i think he eventually did get the money for the jet because they weren't going to give him a jet but they were going to give him the money for the jet uh and apparently he spent 4.3 million dollars to get seven hundred thousand dollars from pepsi for some reason for some reason yeah. this man thought that was a good idea so i mean okay but all right so uh whatever i'm i'm entertained by the idea that it exists and i'm never going to watch it no that is completely fair uh also my name in the uh zencaster call this week is pepsi air force (laughs) it's uh it's a good name Uh, i laughed as soon as you logged in did you know that at one point Coca-Cola was like the world's fifth largest Navy or something like that? Uh, I'm assuming Navy in this context means that anything with like a, a significant amount of ships. Uh, own, ownership of military ships. Yes. Uh, so so the weird thing is that like when selling products internationally, like sometimes the barter system takes effect where like. You know, you can give something of equal value rather than actual currency. Uh, so Russia paid, uh, I believe it was Coca-Cola company. Um, it may have been Pepsi, but I believe it was Coca-Cola. Uh, they gave them like a bunch of military warships that they were going to decommission uh, as payment for a shipment of their good, good uh, bottled beverages. Uh, so they just had them and then they like sold it for scrap to get the money from it. Huh? Interesting. Well, okay, then that is now a I weird have to look it up to make sure that I'm not crazy. Eh, you're probably not crazy. Oh, no, it was it was Pepsi. Uh, the Cola fleet, how Pepsi once controlled the world's sixth largest Navy. Uh, with a net worth of over 18.8 billion products sold to 200 countries, economic powerhouse. Uh, in 1959, the American National Exhibition in Moscow's Sokolniki Park uh, was the site where the USSR got its first taste of Pepsi. This is boring. Yeah, I don't know. What's that? What's that documentary about that? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Pepsi had a bunch of like old diesel subs and stuff, but like none of it was, you know, ready to fight. You know, it was all like decommissioned shit, but technically. So what you're telling me is at some point in history, Pepsi could have attempted to take over the world and create the Pepsi state. Uh, They at least could have. They at least could have killed Coke. That like they could have. They could have had their own sovereign nation, and then we would have just had rollerball. Yeah. They should have just, like... <laughs> they should have, like, uh, rearmed all of the ships and started, like, marauding around the high seas, shooting down Coca-Cola shipments. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, second and final trailer this week is for something called Lookism. Uh, this is an anime series. Uh, a high school student awakes one morning to discover that he now has a handsome face and perfect body. 
The popular Korean webtoon is now an animated series produced by Studio Mir, the studio behind Dota, Dragon's Blood, and The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf. In a society that favors good looks, a high school outcast leads a double life, switching between his two bodies that are polar opposites in appearance. Uh, So this is about an incel who wakes up as a Chad and then has to, you know, deal with that. And change the Chads into being, uh, you know, good, good people, I guess. Uh, Two bodies, one man. Yeah. And then the good looks hit. You want to hear about it here. Uh, This is nothing. It looks okay. It's interesting style. Like it looks, it this actually looks nothing like any of other, any of like Studio Mirror's other stuff. Like when you said the Studio Mirror, just went, huh? This is interesting because it's a, it feels like a complete like a softer so- style than what they've done before with uh, Dota Dragon's Blood and Nightmare of the Wolf. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh it's a show about how society judges you by appearance, not content of your personality, because obviously they're both the same person. So, yeah. Uh, it's unclear if like both bodies are doing the same thing. Like whenever, you know, like if they both go to school or like he just is one one day and is the oh. next one the other day or what? No, it, he says whenever he falls asleep, whenever one body falls asleep, the other wakes up. So I'm assuming he goes in between both bodies. Uh, I'm hoping that one day, uh, you, you know, we're, we're, there's going to be that one episode where he needs to change into the other body and he can't he can't fall asleep. So he just, you know, you know he has to solve the problem in the body he's currently in. Because we know yeah. that happens because that happens every time with one of these kind of shows like uh, he's got a hot date, but then like the good looking body falls asleep in math class and he wakes up as the schlub. Yeah. Be that would be hilarious. All right. Um, let's continue doing the show. Uh, Dan, let's do the quick hit segment, which is where we hit things quickly. Uh, so did you watch anything outside of our regularly scheduled viewing? So I watched a bunch of horror movies. Uh, they were all on other streaming services though. Um, they're all like highly regarded horror movies. X I I watched, uh, that movie's bad. Uh, and then, uh, fucking barbarian, which is on Peacock, a dying streaming service. Uh, and that movie's fine. Uh, interesting though. I would recommend seeing it. Because I know people like it, uh, I think it's I, I think it's fine. It was I was at least engaged by that movie. Uh, in terms of actual things that I watched on Netflix, uh, I still don't have anything because all that I watched this week that is actual of any importance whatsoever, aside from more One Piece, I watched more One Piece, uh, is Glass Onion: A Knives Out Story. I watched this in theaters. Uh, we recorded early last week. So I could go watch this in theaters, and uh, it's great. It's a great follow up. Um, I was worried about it from the at the beginning because, uh, based off of like the the way a lot of the characters are talking about this, uh, the you know the the main reason they're going to this island in Greece, 
Uh, it sounds very much like Elon Musk. Like they're, they're just ripping on Elon Musk. And I just went, oh, no, please don't beat me over the head with this. I, that's the last <laughs> thing. I did. And uh, it didn't. It really didn't. Not until like closer to the end. And even still, it wasn't like beating you over the head with what they were doing with, with his character. But um, for, yeah, for those of you who don't know, it's a it's a follow up to uh, Knives Out, which is uh, a murder mystery thing. And this is a yeah. mystery movie in theory uh, where they're invited. Uh, Benoit Blanc is invited, invited along like I think it's six other like high society people of all different kinds of backgrounds to this uh, remote island in Greece to uh, solve the mystery of this billionaire's death. Yeah. Dave Batista's here. Edward Norton, uh, Catherine Hahn, uh, Jessica Henwick. Uh, oh, God, what's his name? Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson, who I who I was like, who is Kate? who is this woman? I don't recognize her. And it was Kate Hudson the whole time. Also, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar apparently as himself. Uh, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to go into further than that, because uh, that's actually a really neat moment that that happens there. But um, yeah, so they go to this island in Greece and there's a murder mystery. Also, uh, most importantly, Janelle Monet is in this movie and she is fantastic. What they have this woman do is uh, wonderful. So uh, I don't want to give too much away. Just know that uh, it it works. It's it's a it's a great follow up. Uh, I'm very excited to see the sequel on Netflix. I'm very excited to uh, see a third movie because you know we're going to see a third movie about this, especially after this one got such. Well, I think it's good. Therefore, I think the critics critics think it's good. I haven't actually even looked. I don't really even care what the critics say. But it's a great. It's great. Go, uh, you're gonna want go watch it. Uh, whether that's in the theaters for Thanksgiving time. Or if you wait all the way till Christmas, go for it. But yeah, uh, make sure you watch this. We'll definitely cover it whenever uh, it's time. All right. Uh, now it's your turn. Tell me about the thing. All right. Well, uh, for some reason, I finished up watching uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, spooky cupboard. Uh, and I was like... <clears throat> I'm just going to watch something. I'm going to throw something on. And uh, the thing I saw and I was like, okay, uh, was Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon Crystal season one. Uh, I watched the entire first season and I'm here to tell you it was actually a pretty easy watch. Um, it's not terrible. So Sailor Moon is an anime. Uh, I think... The original Sailor Moon. When the fuck did that come out? I was the 80s. And then it was adapted or like I think uh, it a job in the 90s. Yeah, I think 92 is. Yeah, 92 is what it said. Beautiful Soldier Sarah. Shara Moon is the original title. Sarah apparently. Moon. Yep. Yes. Uh, so this is like. I don't know. It's there's certain there's certain anime series that are like kind of hallmarks of the genre. So there's like uh Mobile Suit Gundam is like the like where you know the whole kind of subgenre of mecha um 
like derived from like originally like probably Voltron was like the original one or whatever. But like, you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. uh, like uh, fucking Dragon Ball is like the the larger than life like here, it, like it's the archetype. So like Sailor Moon uh, kicked off what is known as like the magical girl subgenre, I guess. I don't know. Uh, it's a bunch of normal teenage girls who uh, magical secret powers are revealed to them when they uh, hold up their magic pens and say, uh, by the light of the moon, I shall punish you. It's a normal 14-year-old uh, junior high student, Usagi, is... Uh, a clumsy crybaby who finds out she's actually uh, the reincarnation of the princess of the moon kingdom, which is a thing that used to exist and was destroyed. Uh, so she can transform into Sailor Moon, uh, which is a girl in a sailor suit who uses moon powers. So it does what it says on the tin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she uses this to fight monsters. Uh, along with her friends, who are also like named after astrological things. Uh, so there's a Mar- sailor Mars, Venus, Mercury, Jupiter. Jupiter. Yeah. Yep. Uh, two of the we have a Sappho and her friends uh, situation going on with two of them. They're just really good friends. Yep. And not lesbian lesbian lovers like they were supposed to be. No, they actually all are uh, boy crazy, I guess. Well, despite no. not meeting, not needing men to complete them. Well, right, and also tuxedo mask, best guy ever. All he does is show up, say my work is done, and then leave. yeah. <laughs> but you haven't done anything. Uh, I, I actually like whenever I first discovered that anime existed. I think this was on. I think the original Sailor Moon was on like Toonami or some shit. Like I caught a couple episodes after like school and i was like mm. oh this is like a weird goofy like girly show and but the uh intro music kind of slaps so i'm into it whatever i don't know this is like a re-adaptation of the manga i guess um it's a it's a good bit darker than the original series uh like they just like straight up kill people like there's stakes huh okay well, yeah, I can only imagine because, like, th- I'm assuming this is like for actual, like, I'm, I'm assuming the the one in the '90s, in, at least in the U.S., was censored for kids, so kids could watch it. I mean, like, even even Dragon Ball Z was fucking censored to a degree. Mm-hmm. Like, if you watch Dragon Ball Z Kai, like, it's much more violent, much more bloody. Like, shit's wild in that. Yeah. I don't know. The other thing that I like about this adaptation is that they don't hypersexualize Usagi, who, as I said before, is a 14 year old girl. Good. Uh, so like the transformation sequence where they uh, where she turns into Sailor Moon is not like hypersexualized like it is in the original adaptation, uh, which is a good thing. Yes. So, I don't know. It's fine. I probably won't go back to it, but it's fine for people who like it. Uh, as I said before, Tuxedo Mask is like 
the goat. Uh, I just, I just love that character. I don't really care about anything else, but like the, uh, the, the plot is like fairly standard anime fare and just like, kind of like the, the plot line is that the plot is present. Like they just have to fight things yeah, and win the battle. And that's, that's it. Uh, but you know, it's fine. Well, okay. Uh, also I'm not anywhere near the target audience for it. So there's well, that. Yeah. You're 36 and a man and a man. Uh, I'm a fully grown adultman. Vincent adultman. Would you like, uh, alcohol? Well, I'm glad you enjoyed Sailor Moon. Uh, and I hope everyone enjoys this break that we're about to take. Uh, and when we come back from that break, we'll talk about Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. The Netflix and Swill podcast is brought to you by our wonderful patrons. Gerald Morris, Bill Sutton, Ashley the Bubby Gorski, Ben Kiefer, Paul Prezula, the Mike Rula, Daniel Henderson, Julio Oliveira, Jimmy De La Rosa, Chris Yaney, Nate Wade, Alan Gallarisi, Casey Moore, Jason the Nerdrovert, Sam the Hurlahee Boy Hurley, Nick Haskins, David Powell, and my mom. If you'd like to join that illustrious list of patrons, visit patreon.com slash Netflix and Swill. Or, if you'd like to support us without spending any money, you can share our podcast on social media, tell a friend, or review the podcast on any podcatcher. It'd be greatly appreciated. Now, back to your regularly scheduled banter. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb's time to get into our main review tab for the week. Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. All right. Guillermo del Toro is here to show us his weird closet. And uh, it's a TV series, uh, drama, horror, mystery. It's a 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, Bizarre nightmares unfold in eight tales of terror in a visually stunning, spine tingling horror collection curated by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, This stars actors and is written by people. Uh, Dan, what did you think of Guillermo del Toro's armoire of absurdities? I mean, it's an anthology series. There's always going to be strong ones. There's always going to be weak ones. There's always going to be ones that are just fine. Uh, However, my God, did this one have some fucking highs. Where the, the highs were like the Dan shit like the most Dan shit you could fucking get. It was yeah. it's fine. It's finally fucking here. I'm getting what I've always wanted. Yeah, we've uh, got a, an HP Lovecraft story in the mix, uh, which is one of the strongest episodes. Um, I don't know if there's uh, like uh, it was I think it was Thursday. Thursday was only HP Lovecraft stories. Hmm. And uh, boy. I was just slow jerking it the whole time during those. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll talk. I think we'll talk about each of them individually. But yeah, for the most part, like it's 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 a solid series. Uh, your mileage is going to vary depending on which one plays to your sensibilities. Well, there might be none that play to your sensibilities, in which case, God help you. But I mean, that's the thing with anthologies is you just move on to the next one. Like they're they're all self-contained. You can just figure it out, and move on to the next one. Yeah, 
what do you think? I like this a lot. It's, uh, you know, horror anthology in time for Halloween, which is just what I wanted. Um, I don't know. I like most horror anthology things that I see, uh, like Creep Show and Tales from the Dark Side and the Twilight Zone movie. Uh, and this slots in right there amongst those. So uh, I'm here for it. Uh, the framing device of Guillermo del Toro shambling out of the darkness to talk about his his weird cabinet uh, is the weakest part of the show. But then once the stories kick off, uh, it's usually pretty good. He is, unfortunately, the worst part of his own show. Yeah. And I. I get what he's doing. It's a Rod Serling kind of thing. My he comes in and he's just like, here's the, he, let me set the tone. And it's just like, ah. Uh. Yeah. And my uh, reaction to that pretty much was, oh, that's what Guillermo del Toro looks like. Oh, I mean, I know what he looks like because I've seen him in uh, Death Stranding. He used his body as uh, a fucking character in the game. And they got somebody else to voice him like, oh, why did they get somebody else to voice Guillermo del Toro? That's so weird. Uh, And then I watched this and I just went, oh, that's why they got somebody else to voice Guillermo del Toro. Because even if he's supposed to be excited, like he seems to be excited about telling people about these fucking stories. He just Mm -hmm. comes across as incredibly monotone. Yeah. He's basically out here going, ah, the French champagne. That would imply he actually had any kind of talent for yeah. uh, speaking and was just, you know, drunk. Uh, I just feel like he's incredibly awkward. Yeah, I don't know. Um, good at directing, not an actor. Nope. But yes, you're you're correct. It is the weakest part of the show. Like, Basically, the second you see Guillermo del Toro hit the screen, just hit fast forward. It's fine. You don't have like you don't have to get it set up. Like if you want to know who's directing it, they'll they'll fucking tell you. They'll tell you the the name of the thing. Just skip to the beginning of the actual anthology episode. Yep, uh, we've got eight separate horror stories. Uh, they all have different actors, uh, different writers, different directors. Uh, there are no common threads tying the whole thing together uh which you know is good i'm glad there wasn't like a meta story yeah but it was building too uh so the the best way to do this i think dan will just be to just go line by line and break down each one talk about each story and whether we liked it or not all right so first before we do that i'd like to Get a little spoiler break because I feel like it, it, it and just give like top threes. Like what are, what is your top three and then also your worst one? Uh, so that way people like, you know, which ones to prioritize, which ones to avoid if possible. Uh, I already sure. have my top three uh, at number three. I have the viewing uh, arguably the most interesting, visually interesting thing I've seen all year. The cinematography, I was blown away by how beautiful it looked. Yeah, it's quite good. Uh, Number two is The Autopsy, uh, which shockingly uh, has a teleplay by David Goyer, who uh, notably wrote uh, a lot of bad movies. 
And uh, to the shock of absolutely no one who's watched the show, uh, my number one is Pikmin's model. And by with a fucking bullet, it's not even fucking close, everybody. Pikmin's model is amazing. Uh, and worst one is uh, to the also to the shock of no one who listens to me talk, uh, the murmuring uh, directed by and teleplay by Jennifer Kent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you you and me kind of hit uh, pretty close to each other. I'm my uh, three, two, one is actually going to go lot 36, which is the first one. Um, the viewing would be a close number four. I like that one a lot, but uh, I don't know. Um, lot 36 gets a bump up because it starts Tim Blake Nelson, which automatically puts it in like true the running for, you know, I, I fucking love Tim Blake Nelson. I'll watch mm-hmm. anything he's in. I don't give a fuck. Uh, my number two would be Pickman's model. And my number one by quite a lot is the autopsy. Yeah. I the fucking loved that story. I. I will say, like the first day, kind of let me down. Like lot, thir- like lot thirty six, like lot thirty six, and uh, what is it? The the graveyard rats. Both of those are fine stories and like a, a good mm-hmm. setup. But I was like, eh, these are fine so far. I hope I hope day two comes with some heat, and it comes with the fucking autopsy. It was like, let's go. This is what I'm talking about here. Yeah, autopsy's great. Um, and yeah, my my least favorite would be the murmuring. Uh, like by by far it's actually it's it's borderline like i almost just didn't enjoy the story like i just didn't think it was that good yeah no that's totally fair uh and we'll talk about that here because uh i feel like there's a very obvious reason as to why we don't like the murmuring yeah probably i don't know all right, so now we'll get into spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled by any of this stuff, uh, please skip ahead to the end of the episode. Actually, thank you for just listening. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're going to break them down one by one. So let's get yeah. into it. Uh, before we do that, what would you rate the series overall? <sighs> it's good. It's a three and a half. Like it, it's worth your ch- your time for the most part. Like all, of, I wouldn't say any of them are bad. Uh, I would just say like. In, in, in particular, the murmuring, which I think is the worst one. It's just not for me because nothing Jennifer Kent has ever been for me. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go four. I thought this was quite good. It it kind of scratched the itch that I was having for the, the Halloween season. So, yeah, I'm glad this came in right after Midnight Club to remind you what of what real horror is. Yeah, Um. I don't know, kind of kind of filled the niche that like Fear Street did for me last year. Sure. Let me just play the ending for you. No, no, I don't want to see how it ends. Okay, I could describe it. Um, imagine you're in a room. No, no, like... no, 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 I don't want to know how it ends. I haven't seen the beginning. Uh, yeah, yet. but the ending is awesome. So if I could just Son play of the bitch, this is what you always do. You always spoil stuff uh, for me. No, I don't. And if I could just play the ending for you real quick, then we'll discuss that. Motherfucker, you always spoil everything before I get a chance okay, to see it. Okay, you sound like a crazy person right now. All right. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into our first gory. Uh, it's about a Tim Blake Nelson who really fucked up by uh, being an American Pickers uh, alt-right sleeper agent. Uh, it's called <laughs> Lot 36. An ex-vet buys a storage locker and its contents to pay off gambling debts, uh, but buys more than he bargained for when he purchases a lot owned by a strange old man. My ultimate problem with this, and the reason why I don't rate this probably as highly as you do, uh, 
despite the Tim Blake Nelson factor, is that he is just incredibly unlikable. And that's yeah. always my struggle with these kind of horror stories is when you have an incredibly unlikable character, you just want them to die as soon as possible. Well, that's uh, that's the thing is like he is an extremely bad person. So it's like it's one of those horror stories that like it's more about punishment than it is about the scares like at no point because he's just such a dick the whole time like he makes he designs his own end and then he's upset that he did this to himself right and like at no point is it redeeming for him like at no point are you like oh man i hope he gets out of this one right i i like as soon as you see him like he's just in his truck listening to who I'm assuming is Rush Limbaugh. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a long time since I've heard Rush's voice, so I'm assuming this is Rush Limbaugh. It's it's meant to be a Rush Limbaugh type. So, you know, you see him. He's just an insufferable prick to everybody, and uh, you know he's been foisted by his own petard by fucking getting into gambling debts and, and such. So he's trying to score this one big haul. Yeah. from this one lot to get all this money to pay it back and he's just an asshole to everybody. Yeah, that's actually a common thread with the second story um which like I guess are there kind of yeah, I guess there's like uh common themes for each day like the two stories that came out each day kind of have like a thematic link somewhat. I feel like the the first couple days do but especially this this first day because uh yeah they did two episodes a day for four days so the like these first two episodes came out on the 25th of october yeah they, yeah they're both centered around like bad like objectively bad people yeah trying to trying to get one last big score to like not be killed by a lone shark <laughs> right yeah that yeah that is a weird tendril and then the second what, what would the second day be Second day is uh, metamorphosis, kind of. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Third day and is then uh, the second the one's like day. the third day. Yeah, it's like cosmic horror, and then the last day. Um, <sighs> is there a theme to the last day? I don't think there is. I don't. I don't know that there's a theme for the <laughs> last day, but yeah, the the other three days kind of match up. So yeah, the, good the job, last day. good job, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, there's yeah there. If you can figure out a way to tie the viewing to the murmuring, anybody, good luck. I I, I applaud you. Scientists, I don't know. There's a science lady in both. That's yeah. a tenuous link. Tenuous at best. Uh so yeah, like Tim Blake Nelson's an asshole. Uh, he comes across this locker. He he buys this lot for relatively cheap, and uh, in it he finds a fucking seance table with like these incredibly rare demonic books yeah and apparently the guy was uh, a nazi occultist yep so uh so for people who don't know like in the final days of the third reich uh adolf hitler's fucking syphilis addled brain was looking for any and every way to win the war including like Summoning actual demons. Yep. Uh, that's what the game Wolfenstein is based on. Uh, like they were searching for the Spear of Destiny, which is like 
the spear that pierced Christ's side while he was being crucified that like whoever holds it is said to become immortal. Uh, weird shit. Yeah. And to a lesser degree, it's why you have the Indiana Jones movies. Mm-hmm. 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 So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a simple story. He's an asshole to this one woman who is an immigrant and moves the houses. Uh, and they, I guess they sold her storage locker to Tim Blake Nelson, who's like, yeah, through all of your shit, fuck you. And she's like, well, I'm sure you have my family photo albums. Could I just get those? That's all I want is my family photo albums. And yeah, he's, he's like, give me give me a thousand dollars and I'll let you look for five minutes. I was like, what the fuck, dude? That's such a fucking asshole thing to do. Well, <laughs> and the other thing is, is like that woman sticks around for the entire fucking episode at the storage locker place. Like, is she just unable to return home? Like, what's going on with her? Well, no, she's waiting for the moment to get one over on him, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and eventually does whenever they summon uh, what I thought was going to be the cosmic horror episode when the fucking demon sp- like sprouts out of this fucking body uh, with tentacles yeah. and begins consuming a man. <laughs> yeah. So like uh, instead of. You know, his normal fucking. Broker fence pawn shop guy, whatever, I don't know. Like, he has all this weird occult shit that was in the storage lot. Uh, so he's like, no, you want to go to, I think her name's actually Agatha, which is, is. like, on point. Uh, Elite so it's like She specializes in weird shit like this, so take this to her. And then she's like, you know, this seance table, I would just, you know, I, I'd have to move it, and it's just going to take up space in the shop, but let me call my seance table guy uh, to get an accurate, you know, uh so other dude comes <laughs> other dude comes checks it out and is like hey there's three spooky old books uh about summoning demons and weird shit uh but the fourth book is what's really valuable so if we can go back to the storage locker and find that I'll write you a check right now for 300,000 US dollars yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing so fucking hard because uh, Caleb made an American or er, a Pawn Stars reference. Yes. Uh, yeah. So like, I didn't even make that connection when you said that. Like, I, I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy who specializes in antique Nazi seance tables. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Uh, so yeah. Like uh, the the guy shows up, they they find the fucking book, and Tim Blake Nelson's like, "Well, I'll just get the fucking book. I don't believe in any of this yeah. nonsense." So, yeah, they find a secret passage behind the storage locker, uh, which leads to a spooky hallway, which leads to a room with a desiccated corpse inside a summoning circle, mm-hmm. uh, and the book is on a fucking uh, podium on the far side. So rather than skirting around the edge of the room, Tim Blake Nelson's just like, I'm getting the fucking book and just like walks through and like scuffs the fucking binding circle, which releases this demon out. Uh, because, you know, if you've ever seen movie or TV show that has demon in it, uh, that's, you know, if you disturb the circle of salt, it'll mm-hmm. get you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the one man gets all led up by a tentacle porn demon. 
Well, yeah, because he just stands there to look at. He's like, oh my god, look at this thing. And then he, and then the tentacles just wrap around him and fucking crams him into the demon's mouth. It's fucking awesome. Now, of course, <laughs> he's a fucking moron, but it's still awesome. Yeah. And uh, Tim Blake Nelson runs away. He gets to the door of the storage facility, but then, uh-oh, uh, the lady he was racist to is holding the door closed and locked. Uh, so yep. then he gets all he gets all led up by a tentacle. Yeah. Uh, again, for some reason, that lady has been there for over 12 hours just hanging out. Yeah. And it's like three or four in the morning, presumably at this point. So yeah, just just hanging out there for some uh, reason. She's not taking care of her kids. No, uh, it's it's a weird that's a weird one. Like her. I just I'm, I'm assuming America. she has kids. She may just be, you know, living in a storage unit. Oh, God, she's living in it. Well, she's living. Yeah, she's living in a storage unit. My God. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I like this story a lot. It's uh, interesting. It's uh, a fun way to kick the series off. Yeah, yeah, it was fine. Like I said, unlikable Tim Blake Nelson makes us kind of hard for me to get invested in. But uh, boy, did I sure like it when the tentacle creature ate the dude. Yeah. Dan plus cult equal happy. I mean, this wasn't much of a cult, but it was more, you know, uh, a cult. It was a cult. Yes. Uh, well, also the tentacles. And then it, we're going to talk about graveyard rats here in a second. But it also like there like there was some Cthulhu shit in that, too. And I was like, oh, yeah, my God, it's fucking happening. And I just got so hyped for multiple episodes being like, give me the photogon. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a good a segue as any. So we'll get into episode two, The Graveyard Rats. Uh, a grave robber eyes the riches of a wealthy new arrival to the cemetery, but must survive a maze of tunnels and an army of rodents to secure them. Uh, this this story is about a grave robber who really fucked up. It's called Rats Will Chew Your Fucking Hands Off. And then burrow through your body as you lay dead in a fucking casket in somebody else's fucking casket. Yeah. So. Yeah, it starts off with two grave robbers, uh, you know, carrying out their grisly work. Uh, our main character for this shows up with a gun and is like, hey, I'm the caretaker here. Why don't you drop your shit and get the fuck out? Uh, and he's like, you're not going to call the constabulary. And he just like does a fucking desk pop and the guys run off, leaving their bag of loot, uh, which he then takes to a fence to sell because, uh oh, he's the caretaker of the graveyard. But that's just his cover story because he's using it to get close to dead bodies to take the valuables off of them. Exactly. Uh, like the real piece of shit. He, he's a real piece of shit. Yeah. So yeah, he had a, a bad run at a hand of cards and uh, owes the wrong people a bunch of money. So, uh, but, you know, his his work of late has been less profitable because uh, rats are burrowing under the graveyard and uh, just consuming and dragging away bodies en masse. So by the time he digs down to them. Uh, the body's already out of the casket and pulled into a tunnel, but he's claustrophobic and doesn't want to go after it. Right. Uh, uh, he's a real bitch. Yeah, a real, 
a real loser uh in like what ensues after this because he of course he has to go into the tunnels to try to get the valuable shit uh what ensues is basically like a home alone-esque like series of painful hijinks where he gets poked in the eye by a stick and bitten by rats and shoots himself in the toe trying to shoot a rat Mm -hmm. uh and then like falls down a lot yeah a lot of prat falls a lot of like weird intense goings on under the earth yeah uh, also, a lot of cool practical effects because he uh, eventually runs yeah. into a giant fucking rat, which is, uh, you know, except for when it's moving around a lot, uh, practical. And then yeah. uh, he falls down a fucking hole, uh, steals his fucking gold medallion from this, uh, you know, severed yeah, corpse. Like this, this corpse is cut in half. Yeah, it's another it's another occult thing. Well, I think that like the corpse is complete on like a chair, but it's like. There's roots and shit growing oh, through yeah, it. Yeah. So it's like whenever the corpse comes loose from there, it like peels it in half. But he there's like this uh tentacle face demon sculpture on the thing, and he's like, Oh, it's a black church. So it's like a fucking Cthulhu cult meeting yep. spot tomb. Uh yeah. so he takes this big gold medallion off it because he's like, Oh, I can sell this for big money. A million uh, schmeckles. And then the corpse fucking reanimates and goes mine and starts yeah, to like, crawl he, after him and bite yeah, him. It, it turns out he, it's a, uh, a a corpse of a seagull. Yeah. Yeah. Sick Finding Nemo reference, bro. Thanks, man. So, yeah, uh, then it comes to a point where he's pinned in between the giant fucking rat and the mine corpse. Uh, mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Kills the rat, uh, kills the corpse again. Uh, and then he's like, ah, I see. This is my way out. This this tunnel uh, from the rocks that have fallen. I can get out and climb up this way. Yeah, he shines his light up because uh, this story takes place in like um, kind of industrial revolution era Britain. Uh, yes. So like he has an electric flashlight, so he shines it up this tunnel uh, and it like he you know he can see light at the end of the tunnel so he he climbs up the tunnel uh and he gets there and he finds out that it was just a reflection of his light glinting off of uh a piece of glass inside a casket that said rest in peace requiescat in pace yes so then he's just in the coffin and then uh you know the the swarm of normal size rats come and shuck and devour him yeah, uh, it's fucking metal. Also disgusting. Yeah. And then the uh, two grave, ro- grave robbers from the beginning of the, the story dig up the grave that he's in. And they're like, oh, look at that fucking cool ass medallion he has. And then a fucking rat pl- plunges out from this chest and takes the medallion back uh, underneath the, the earth. Yep. So, uh, yeah, again, another another story of like comeuppance where there's the characters just an insufferable piece of garbage and you just you just want to see him get his comeuppance and uh mm-hmm. you know getting eaten alive by rats and then them infesting his body is uh, pretty good yeah i don't know uh pretty solid entry you know kind of middle of the yeah. road for oh, the yeah, series definitely. overall uh so day one 
for this? Where would you rank it amongst the other days? I'm thinking uh, day three is your favorite, probably. And then, uh, yeah, day three is my favorite. Um, day two is it's mm, day three is my favorite. This is probably day one is probably third. Day four, unfortunately, is fourth. Day three is number one and day two is number two. Okay. Okay. What about you? Where does this rank for you? Uh, probably about the same. Yeah, I would say day one is the third best day. Day four is the the least good day. Yeah. And then uh, days two and three, it's it's kind of a toss up for me, honestly. That's fair. All right. Uh, I guess let's get to it. Uh, the big one, uh, the autopsy. I, I think this is the one that uh, I, I feel like this is going to be the one that most people are going to say it's the best one, uh, unless you're a psychopath yeah. like me who who wants to watch HP Lovecraft stories and more get adapted. It's the highest rated one on IMDb, although uh, take that with a grain of salt because the murmuring and graveyard rats are tied for second highest rated, so uh, nobody knows anything. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so the autopsy, a seasoned sheriff investigates a dead body in the woods and calls on an old pal, a medical examiner to help piece together a series of chilling events. Uh, so this is, ah, man, there's a lot going on here. It's, uh, like, it's kind of an alien invasion story. It's got sort of like an alien slash invasion of the body snatchers motif slash uh, autopsy of Jane Doe. Yeah. Uh, a lot of shit going on here. All of it very good. Well, I, and I think a lot of that centers around the fact that it's uh, F. Murray Abraham. Like, he, he is doing all this heavy lifting for this for this movie or for this yeah. uh, this episode. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, uh, you know, with the exception of uh, the sheriff who is, uh, who the fuck plays him? Uh, Glenn Turman. I don't know. I've seen him in other things before. Name what have I seen familiar. him in? He's in the, oh, he's the, he's, uh, he's, in, he's in, in the wire. Yeah, and he's in uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is probably where I know Toledo. him from. Toledo. Is he the one who got fucking murdered by Chadwick Boseman? I think so. Okay, that makes sense. It's been a while since we watched that. Been a while. Been a while. Um, but yeah, like, very good other characters, but like, mainly it's just F. Murray Abraham carrying yeah. this thing. Like, he has to be charismatic and interesting enough for him to just talk to himself. Uh, and still carry the story forward, and he does, and it's very good. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, what probably about twenty minutes where it's just him on the screen, like just talking yeah. to a tape recorder, and it's interesting. Yeah. And and that's about as good as you can say of a performance is that they're talking to nobody and they're interesting. So, um, the first what thirty ish minutes, twenty five thirty minutes are the yeah. sheriff recounting the tale of, you know, ev all the events that lead up to the autopsy and it's riveting stuff. It, it reminds me of like detective hard boiled kind of stuff where 
you know, yeah. some guy comes up. Here's the case. Uh, can you can you solve it for me, detective? Well, I don't know that. <laughs> there's a lot of that. There's also uh, this also reminds me a lot of uh, there's a game on Steam called The Mortuary Assistant. Uh, which I'm not brave enough to actually purchase and play myself, but like, uh, it's a horror game where like you're alone at night embalming corpses, but like weird paranormal shit starts happening and you have to try to survive it while doing your regular normal job. You have to figure out which, uh, which corpse is possessed by a demon and then, uh, put it in the incinerator to survive. Uh, and I watched uh, some Let's Plays of it, and it's very scary. And this okay. reminded me of it. Well, interesting. Uh, like, I, I really enjoy it. Like I said, it's it's really enjoyable. And then um, it actually turns out that, well, he, uh, Abraham's character is dying of stomach cancer. And so, you know, he's mm-hmm. like, I got six months to live. I may as well help people. So, like, he's a noble person. And that's, like, the big thing with this episode, too, is it's, like, a complete turn on his head of everything of the other two episodes we've seen so far is that he's just, like, a decent person as opposed to, you know, a complete shit heel. Yeah. Uh, so what's going on here? Like, this is uh, a story that involves, like, uh, a space alien, basically. Um, so there's like the guy who becomes the host for this creature. I uh, is like, Oh, I'm going to go watch this meteor shower, whatever. Uh, so like the, there's also like there, what the sheriff is investigating is like an explosion in a mine. So basically like what you find out and piece together through the course of the episode, is like, um, the the guy who caused this explosion in the mine like he he had essentially like it's like a a sphere but you're like oh it must be like an alien bomb or something right um so like the uh guy doing the autopsies is like trying to piece together what happened so it's like oh i'm going to dissect this corpse here uh which was located here in relation to the blast like you know signs of blunt force trauma you know this is this is the evidence and what happened to the case then he gets to the next body and he's like oh the the heart and the lungs are like completely drained of blood there's a hole in the chest like something sucked all the blood out of this man yeah. like he's been completely exsanguinated uh and then you know he's getting ready to do the one that was like the guy who perpetrated the bombing, mm-hmm. uh, the corpse reanimates and like attacks him. Uh, turns out that like the, the bomb thing, it was actually like the alien ship, uh, which like it has to destroy so that people don't find out that the alien exists. Uh, cause basically what it is like the alien will, uh, invade somebody's body uh, it's kind of i don't know i guess it's kind of like parasite the maximum way too a little bit that that or you know alien whatever but like it'll take over a host uh control the body like the alien has no sensory organs or anything it just taps into the host nervous system and like uses them to live its life so like without a host it's just like 
you know, uh, can't, can't see anything at all. Can't hear, uh, this TV for a hundred dollars. That's fair. Uh, I also can't feel anything. That's harder to come up with a catchy, uh, phrase in an ad for, but right. I also can't feel anything. Yeah. Uh, uh man. I love a good answer. My eyes, Johnson <laughs> reference. Uh, I love making obscure references for you to have to piece together. Um, so basically the body, because of the explosion, like it's completely wrecked. Uh, so he's going to take over the medical examiner's body, which, uh, by this time he's the aliens grown to like full size. So rather than being able to like enter the body as normal, it has to be like, you know, put like a surgical cut into the guy for it to go through. Uh, so like it's still in the, the guy's body who blew up the mine. Uh, he like starts to dissect himself so that the alien can get out and get into the other guy and like cuts mm-hmm. down his side. But like, there's a point where the aliens crawling inside the guy, uh, that like it can't see or hear anything. Uh, so the guy's like, you know, I'm dying of stomach cancer anyway. And also I'm the baddest motherfucker around. Exactly. Uh, so I'm going to really fuck up this alien's whole deal, uh, because it can't see or hear anything without using my senses. Uh, takes the fucking scalpel and pushes it through both eardrums through both eyes, cuts his vocal cords and also cuts his, uh, necks. Like he'll just bleed out. Uh, and the alien won't be able to like get out and find another host. And like in the process of doing this, he's like, uh, you know, leaves a message for his buddy, the sheriff, when he comes back, like he writes in his own blood on his chest, like play tape, burn me. Yeah. And, uh, it's fucking awesome. It's it's fantastic. Like it's just like like I said, it's the antithesis of what we had the prior day, where these people are so selfish that they just will do anything to get themselves above anybody else and yeah, putting and everybody they, else and they end up losing the process. And I mean, he loses in the pro in the process, but he saves in theory all of humanity. Yeah, he, because he sacrifices no himself. To, yeah. So, uh, love it. But yeah, I mean, also, like, there's a lot of uh, philosophy uh, being spouted back and forth uh, on the operating tables. Like, it, it was just it, it was just great stuff all around. And man, uh, I, I just can't keep saying it enough. But F. Murray Abraham was fantastic in this episode. Yeah. No, really interesting story. Uh, just really, really cool. I I hope that everybody who listened to it at this point watched the thing because like. I did just go into all the details, but like it's it's very, very good. And I wanted to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, our next story is the outside. Uh, Stacy, uh, she's a, a, an unattractive woman uh, played by Kate Micucci, who uh, is very insecure about her appearance and how she is perceived around her co-workers. So uh, she attempts to. Uh, use this body lotion uh, that she is seemingly deeply allergic to to uh, become beautiful yeah. with wild side effects. Yeah. Um, 
I actually, I feel like you, I feel like this is towards the bottom for you. I actually liked this one quite a bit. Um, you, you know me very well. Uh, this is the second worst one. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, you know, it's, I, I, I would put this in the, I would put this third from the bottom. Like, I think I, I like graveyard rats. I would put it second from the bottom though. And then of course, murmuring is like far, far down, like yes. uh, on the ground below the barrel. <laughs> um, but no, I thought this was pretty solid. So it's just, uh, it's just an awkward woman who doesn't know what to do with herself. And, uh, they they really you know they picked Kate Micucci for this who is like uh I guess body shape, I guess kind body of shaming an, time weird well, looking no, I was gonna say like she's she's kind of uh an awkward person anyway like I don't know they other things I've seen her in they they reference it so like Man. uh she's she's one half of Garfunkel and Oates so like they did a series based on them and like the whole deal with her in the series is that she has Peter Pan syndrome. Cause she's like a perpetual child. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, she's I mean, fine with making fun of herself, I guess, but like they go out of their way to make her ugly, including like putting these horrible contacts on her, which like make her eyes off center and huge. Yeah. And, and, disturbing looking and, and they fuck up or they give her fake fucking teeth. that look awful. And this yeah. awful, awful wig. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's horrifying. And it's just like, if you want to look better, start with the hair. The hair is just horrendous. Yeah. Um, so she starts using this aloe glow body lotion, which, uh, causes her skin to fucking melt. Um, basically like she has a horrible rash the whole time. It looks very, very painful. Can, can uh, I just say my favorite fucking hammy performance in the entire series is Dan Stevens is the aloe glow salesman. Yeah, no, it's good. It's just it, fucking accent of indeterminate origin, just selling aloe glow to, to lonely <laughs> housewives at two in the morning. Yep. So, yeah, the uh, the TV starts talking to her directly, like use more aloe glow, Stacy. You have to be able to go all the way to transform your mind, body, and spirit. Her husband's like, hey, you should quit using that stuff. Like, it's obviously affecting you. She's like, which, like, uh, the big point that they make in the episode is like, you know, she kind of goes off on him. He's like, it's different for you because you're a man. Like, you can be fat and ugly and stupid and rude to everybody and like people still want to talk to you like if you're if you're a woman and look the way i look like you're constantly at a disadvantage with everybody that you meet forever and and that's where i come to the the problem because i mean we we also talked about the fucking trailer for lookism like look at that like that is <laughs> probably more akin to what dudes who are fat and ugly deal with. Maybe as kids, maybe not so much as, you know, an adult, but like guys who look like that aren't, you know, well treated when they're kids. So I don't know. I, I see what she's saying, but it's also like one of those things where like 
Martin Starr is put in this impossible position where he's either like, yeah, you're fucking ugly, you know, change yourself or and he's a bad guy or he's like, no, I, I love you the way you are. And his wife uh, eats him alive. Yeah. Uh, which like her her hobby throughout this is taxidermy, uh, which leads to like some awkward moments because like the house is just full of dead animals, dead stuffed animals. Uh, but she gets invited to like a secret Santa party. Uh, so it's like. She she thought it was like secret, secret Santa, but it's right. actually like everybody knows who got who what uh, and she gives this like the alpha bitch, I guess you'll say uh, at work. She gives her this taxidermy duck and she's like, oh, you, you gave me a dead animal. Let me just put this right back in the box where he lives and I'll set it over here. But yeah, she uh, she decides to go like all in on, you know, this is the thing that's going to fix me and make me able to be comfortable with myself. Right. Uh, so like the husband tries to stop her uh, to which she takes the scalpel that she uses for taxidermy and stabs him right in the middle of his forehead. Like, uh, how do you stab so me? He's like, what the fuck, Stacy? You stabbed me in the face. And he's like, do I take it out or do I leave it in? Do I take it out or do I leave it in? <laughs> uh, so he, he pulls it out and he's like, oh, man, it's bleeding. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, gee. Oh, geez. Oh, uh, geez. Can you get me a towel? So she goes, you know, presumably to get a towel. He's like, I'm just going to sit here. Uh, and then she comes out behind him with an axe and like hits him in the back with a fucking axe uh and he's like honey something fell on me uh and then you know she kills him with an axe yeah Uh, but then she completes her transformation uh the the aloe glow lotion is like personified like the the beautiful like sex pot persona is embodied in the lotion which like animates in the form of a, a curvaceous woman crawls into the bathtub and she crawls in into it and like is fully immersed in the lotion. Well, don't forget, uh, which is that she a fucking wild thing with the fucking lotion. Yeah. And, and that's why she's all covered in lotion when she comes up to see Martin Starr. Yeah. Before she it's, murders uh, him. It's a wild, weird thing that happens. It's kind of like, I don't know. They're kind of like doing uh, the blob or something. Yeah, a bit. Um, but yeah, she's like fully in a bath of this lotion comes out and like, you know, looks in the mirror. Her teeth are better. Oh, her eye pops back into, you know, lining up with the other one. And like, oh, as the lotion gloops off, like her, her skin is perfect and her, her body is attractive. Uh, and she cuts her hair and looks like a normal human. Uh, so she runs down to her dead husband and is like, look, honey, I told you, like, I'm I'm, I'm beautiful sexy now. now. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why didn't you listen to me? You do you want me to cut to 15 minutes ago when you were alive? <laughs> uh, so then she is like, oh, he's just, you know, a dead person. Uh, so she throws him down into the basement where a workshop is and then uh, taxidermies him. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's dope. Which, uh, which is pretty great. And then she goes to the bank and everybody's like, holy shit, Stacy's 
not a mom, but she does have it going on. Uh, and then she becomes the alpha bitch. And then there's a a long, uncomfortable scene of her staring directly at the camera and like smiling and giggling. And then as she it, elevates as she ascends you know. into heaven uh, as the new god of the bank. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, l- l- my big problem with the episode is that it's just too long. It it just takes like it's an hour. I think it's an hour long. And like, you know where it's going the whole time. Like if you cut 15 minutes off of this, I'm probably much more favorable to it. But yeah, at an hour, an hour long is just too long for this kind of story that is very obvious to where it's going and where it's going to end. The only real surprise is her killing Martin Starr in in the uh, interim. I don't know. Her uh, stabbing him in the forehead with a scalpel was a pretty great moment. Oh, yeah. Believe me, that's uh, her stabbing him in the head and his reaction to it was fantastic. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. he, He literally just says, oh, what the fuck? He stabbed me, Stacy. It was great. Believe me, the, uh, like I love that moment. That moment is fantastic. It's just you know, get there faster. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, like you said, I I wouldn't have mind the them picking up the pace a little bit. There's a a podcast that I listen to called the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Uh, brings up this concept a lot, but like in in dramatic life, like in dramatic writing, there is a uh, an idea called getting to the castle. And the idea is that, like, if you promise me a story that takes place in a castle, just get me to the castle as quickly as possible so that I can be at the castle where the story takes place. Right. Um. So, like, I would have liked to see. This episode get to the castle faster. Yeah, and like I said, that's my ultimate problem is it just it just doesn't get to the castle fast enough. Yeah. I did kind of like the effect of the lotion monster. <laughs> I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a good effect. It's just fucking weird. You know, her yeah. and, and then like her making out with the fucking lotion monster is just like this. Well, this is unhinged. Yeah, that's I don't know. I think that's why I liked this one, because like. The entire concept of it is so fucking insane. Yeah, that's fair. Believe me, I get it. All right, moving on. Uh, it's it's fucking time. Uh, yeah, it's, it's time it, now. It's fucking time. Uh, Pikmin's model, uh, an HP Lovecraft story. Uh, art student Will meets introvert Richard, whose terrifying works of art begin to have a deeply disturbing effect on Will's sense of reality. Uh, Dan, I'm going to just let you talk. Yeah. So this has Ben Barnes and Crispin Glover, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Marty McFly's father uh, in, in the show. Uh, and they're in like they're. So Crispin Glover is in his 50s. I just want everyone to remember this. Ben Barnes is in his 40s. And they have him play like seemingly 20 year olds, uh, you know, fresh out of like fresh in art school. Uh, and they're they're competing to get some, you know, fucking uh, uh what's it's like some ex- some exhibition so, uh, like get yeah. their paintings and work put put in some exhibition and uh you know ben barnes has always been the the main guy like everyone's like oh yeah we love his work great work you know 
Oh, look at that's that. great oh, work. Look at look at that off white. Look at that off white coloring. Yeah. Dear uh, God, it even has a watermark. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so Pikmin, pick this Pikmin guy shows up, and he's like, uh, not Pikmin as in like you know the things that Captain Olimar throws around, but Pikmin like you know you pick him as a man. So Pikman, he, he shows up, and he's like, "Yo, I got these paintings. You want to see them?" And Ben Barnes being like, oh, I, re- I really like your work that we were doing in like this round circle 15 minute exercise of like quick sketches. I really like your work. I thought it was interesting. I want to see more. So he just starts show. He brings him by to his apartment. He has all these fucking weird paintings, like these very disturbing paintings. And he's like, oh, you think that's bad? Uh, here's my real disturbing fucking painting. And it's a painting that's very evocative of The Last Supper. But instead but like of a G- bad version of it, right? But I- instead of Jesus, it's this woman holding what I assume is a human heart in her fucking hand as she's eating it. Because it turns out, uh, one of this, she's one of Pikmin's uh, ancestors, and fucking uh, killed her husband and then ate him with like a co- like a coven of people. Uh, and yeah, so Pikmin, and I think she was supposed to be like one of the Salem witches or something. Yes, yeah. So that's uh. And so Pikmin, in his infinite wisdom, was like, I got an idea. I'm going to paint my fucking ancestor eating her husband. I think that's going to be super metal. So she so he <laughs> does it. Uh, and uh, Ben Barnes is, oh, uh, his name is Will Thurber, becomes deeply disturbed by this uh, to the point where it's affecting him. And he starts having visions and, and starts seeing things that aren't really there. Yeah. Or are they there? I don't know. They... Well, they don't really tell you if it's like if he's hallucinating it or if it's like actually happening. But like he uh, sees the painting move as he's like looking at it, which is also pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a dope effect that they do there. But uh, it it seemingly affects his relationship with his, you know the woman he's with uh, i don't i don't know if they have like a particular relationship status but uh it turns out everything's fine because we have a 20 t- year time skip uh to where pikmin's gone on to have you know yeah. relative fame to where they're uh, their real ages yes uh or closer to their real ages so pikmin's gone on to have you know relative fame people people say how great his work is and uh blah 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 and ben barnes is now like the top guy at his uh, high art society where you know people really value his opinion on you know who who should be part of their club uh and who should stop by but mr pickman himself saying i have more work to show you uh and he uh, remembering the the odyssey that his mind went through uh will thurber is just like hey we really should not have this man here like i don't respect his work at all we should uh have him leave as soon as fucking possible uh, to which uh, another man, of course, because, you know, the only time people want other people to leave is when their egos are threatened. It's just like, oh, afraid of some competition there, Mr. Pickman or Mr. Thurber uh, and brushes him off. And I'm just like, oh, no, here comes the fucking weird shit that I'm here for. Uh, so Thur- Thurber goes home and he finds this painting just sitting at his house. He's like, what? what's this? Who delivered this? And his wife's like, eh. So he opens it up and it's a, a, a Pickman original. Where uh, it's I I don't remember what the exact painting is. I don't even know if they show it, but uh, he is deeply disturbed by it again. Bring recalling the memories of uh, Pickman's original work. 
And uh, apparently his son has also checked this out. So his son starts freaking out a lot, uh, yeah. unable to sleep for weeks on end. Uh, and so uh, this all culminates with uh, Pikmin confronting Thurber, saying, hey, look, I know you want me gone. I know you have problems with me. If you just come see my work at my house again, I'll I'll leave forever. Like you'll never hear, you'll never hear from me again. And Thurber's like, I am very enticed by this offer, despite the fact that this is a bad idea. Uh, I will do it. So he goes to Pikmin's house, uh, and there he sees even more disturbing paintings that trigger even more visions in his head. And fucking Pikmin's like, ah, but you haven't even seen the worst of it. And a fucking uh, as and Thurber's just like I don't care I'm gonna fucking murder you as I turpentine your house in an attempt to burn all these paintings uh, so he shoots Pikmin and Pikmin gives him this soliloquy on his deathbed uh, and as the soliloquy finishes a creature crawls out from a fucking well and takes Pikmin's body into the well as Thurber runs the fuck away because uh, when you see a dark creature that you've never experienced before take a body into a well you can only assume you will be next. Uh, so Thurber runs away and he returns home. And he's like, I am finally done with Pikmin. I will never have to deal with the Pikmin-ness again. Uh, thank God. And uh, unfortunately, uh, he goes to the exhibition that Pikmin was going to be at and discovers that all of Pikmin's works have been put up on the walls. And uh, he's like, oh, I need to get these, these out of here. I got to go find the guy who's in charge. Finds the guy in charge, and he is mutilated. Uh, still alive, but uh, very, very badly injured. And, uh, you know, he's rambling about the same things that Pikmin was. So, uh, yeah. So Thurber whisks his wife and his child away in an effort to try to spare them from seeing the images of Pikmin. Uh, and seemingly does so to relative success. And after his long day, returns home and finds his wife cooking dinner. Uh, and this is where Dan got very excited, uh, like in indescribably excited because uh, the horror begins to set in as uh, Thurber continues to speak to his wife. She turns around to find uh, her eyes completely ripped out of her head and uh, at her finally telling Thurber that her their son is uh, what's for dinner, that, that his fucking head is the roast that they will be eating for dinner. And I was just like, this is everything I've ever wanted from a story. This, this <laughs> is the most metal fucking shit. The, cr the creatures, the fucking, the body horror, it was all fantastic. Uh, the slow burn to get to this point was magic. Just magic. Yeah, it's one of those things, like it, it just ratcheted up like little by little. And when it gets there, it's like the payoffs just like so delicious. So. Uh, no pun intended, because they're eating people. It's people. This is uh, this is what I come here for with, you know. Lovecraft stories like little brush of contact with. Otherworldly shit makes people go completely cuckoo bananas yeah so yeah uh again i love this story uh i want to watch it again like this is like i want to there's multiple i want to watch again obviously but like this is the priority yeah 
All right. Uh, next, we have uh, Dreams in the Witch House. Uh, this is another Lovecraft story. Uh, it stars my boy Rupert Grint. Yeah. Uh, years after his twin sister's death, a researcher ventures into a dark, mysterious realm with the aid of a special drug determined to bring her back. Uh, so. Rupert Grant plays uh, a ginger who, uh, when he was a ginger kid, uh, his ginger kid sister got uh, killed and he saw her spirit get dragged off into like the lost woods from Legend of Zelda, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Years later, he's like a spirit researcher. uh, And he starts taking peyote to go on a vision quest to try to find her. Uh, this leads to spooky happenings. Yeah. They don't come right out and say peyote, but they call the drug liquid gold and say that it's derived from a cactus. It's peyote. Yeah. This story's fine. It's one of those, like, don't fuck with things you can't, you shouldn't be fucking with in the first place. Like, the the last Lovecraft story was, I don't know if there's actually a message behind it, because it's just, horror it's just fucking terror the entire time it's just terror and dread like uh, uh, there's no real message to glean from that this story is just basically all about you know uh don't fuck with the spirit world uh and then albert einstein showing up and say i will fuck with the spirit world i will fuck with time so i don't know i I like this story more for the fact that rupert grint is in it you know it's it's not like I think this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, I think it's a, a solid story uh, with solid. It's just, it's just solid. Like it's not my favorite. I, I wouldn't even come close to calling it my favorite, but it's just that Rupert Grant doing his best Leonardo DiCaprio, Boston uh, accent impression. Uh, love that. It was so fucking corny and campy, but I, I, I just liked seeing him in something. That's really what it just came, just came down to. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, nice to see him in something other than an ice cream truck. But no, the story was pretty cool. Um, I don't know. There's a witch. There's a rat with a human face. Uh, a lot of like supernatural rat stuff in this show. But yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. At the beginning of it, like they promise you a happy ending to the story. Uh and then, like, only at the end do you realize that the rat with a human face had been the narrator the whole time. Uh, and he's like, see, I promised you a happy ending. Uh, I ate this man because I'm a nasty rat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was that was fucking great. Like, that was that was awesome because, like, I honestly forgot about that. I was like, oh, a happy ending. I was like, OK, interesting. Oh, he was the guy who was talking to me in the episode. Interesting. Got it. So, like. I don't know. Uh, watching watching the the kind of physical transformation that Rupert Grint's character goes through at the end of the episode when uh, DJ Qualls rat has taken over his body, I was just like, "That's perfect. I'm, I'm here for this shit." Oh my so god, that, was that DJ Qualls? That was DJ Qualls. Good God, I know. What's this, he this been is, doing besides uh, becoming a rat? Besides becoming a rat, that's a great question. Uh, he hasn't worked since 2019. That's interesting. Just living off of uh, residuals from the new guy. Yeah, apparently. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't really have much to say about this. Uh, they, 
there's a witch involved and uh, he tries to yeah. use the witch, like l- leverage the witch into the spirit world to bring back his sister uh, and then pays the ultimate price for it w- for f- trying to fuck with the spirit world. Yeah. Uh, there's also a disapproving nun who says, hey, you shouldn't do this because you'll go to hell. Yeah. Uh, and then she dies because that's what disapproving nuns get. I guess. I guess that's true. So, yeah, I don't know. Kind of uh kind of average story, yeah, I guess. Just, it was just so hum. Just just fine. It was a yeah. solid entry in the series, but uh I don't know. It's it's the one for me which stood out the least. Uh but like, you know, there's there's nothing actively wrong with it. I think maybe no. Maybe at this point in my viewing, I just was like getting to the saturation point where I was like, okay, I get it. This is the kind of stories that you're telling me. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I just, it it just didn't hit. Yeah. Uh, Although we're about to talk about one that definitely hit, uh, which is the viewing. A wealthy recluse hosts four accomplished guests at his stylish mansion for a once-in-a-lifetime experience, but their intrigue soon turns to terror. Uh, so this so this is like an Elon Musk type where it's like, I have fuck you money and can buy God, and uh, therefore I just collect weird shit that other people aren't able to have. Uh, so I'm going to invite the greatest novelist, the greatest musician, uh, the greatest... Uh, psychic researcher and the greatest like fucking astrophysics scientists of our time Uh, and we're all going to talk about this and I'm going to show you a weird thing that I got yeah Um, so like the story takes a while it's like this is the definition of a slow burn like for Mm -hmm. I think for 35 minutes fucking nothing happens it's just people talking they get there, they reveal things about themselves. Uh, this weird billionaire plies them with, like, is exotic booze and super cocaine. Yes. And for me, as I said, this is the most visually striking episode because it the cinematography behind this is so good, it's actually distracting. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, you know, just the just the framing of everything like uh, the uh, there, there's this shot where they're entering a room and the camera just holds on a door and slowly uh, fucking not pans, but moves into the room. And then they all just filter in through the camera uh, it, and it just holds there. There's a lot of like lingering shots. There's also one as they're walking into the compound where. You know, other things would just have like close up shots of them walking. No, it's just one like establishing shot from like what would be like a security camera angle uh, of just them walking and talking. It's it's one of those things. It's like I somebody less confident would look at that and go, no, 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 we need to see them talking And this. It's just like, no, nah, it doesn't really matter. If they're talking. We just want you to see the lavishness of this place that 
they're this mythological place that they've now come to to see this piece of intrigue. I don't know. I guess I didn't mention it earlier, but like the other piece of camera work in this series that I really liked a lot is actually like the scene where Kate Micucci stabs her husband in the face with a scalpel. Cause like, because he's so disoriented by what just happened, like they shoot that scene with apparently a handy cam. And so it's like the camera perspective is kind of gently wavering back and forth as they're talking. And he's like realizing that like, he just got stabbed in the fucking face with a scalpel. Right. Oh no. It was, it was a, an interesting choice. Yeah. But yeah. So, you know, they, they sit around, they bullshit, they do a lot of drugs. Uh, they talk about drugs. They talk about like philosophy, like, and what they're all about. Uh, and this is where we get, uh, I think his name is Ben Agee. Uh, he's the guy who plays Carlton in cautionary tales of swords. He's the novelist. Uh, that's all. That's all you really need to know. Uh, also, Peter Weller, the voice of RoboCop. So when he came over the intercom yeah. and kind of sounded like RoboCop, I was just like kind of geeking for a minute. And I was like, oh, this is really funny. <laughs> so they so they roll up and they're just like, all right, it's time to go see this fucking thing that you really want us to see. And it's a, a fucking meteorite. They all talk about it. They're all, you know, uh, the novelist it, is like, this it sort is a of rock. looks like a weird skull. Yeah. So the novelist is like, this is a rock. Why? all this for a fucking rock the the psychic's like yeah it's a rock but it has like powerful electromagnetic energy inside of it and the astrophysicist is just asking shit about like how it came to earth it's not made of any known element Uh, yeah she's asking about all the tests they would have done to determine the veracity of the 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 origins of the, the 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 rock and eric andre is just like I need to smoke and and smoke because uh, I all of my vices have been broken tonight because of this one excursion. Hmm. So uh, he takes a big puff and blows a blows some weed smoke into the rock. The rock sucks it up and activates uh, and begins murdering people. Yeah, so it like morphs into this weird fleshy creature. which is horrifying. Uh, and mm-hmm. it starts like the one guy, the novelist is just like, it's probing me. And then his head explodes. Yep. Uh, I think it's the rich billionaire is just like, Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll touch it. Uh, and then it like, he melts. No, no, that's the, like, he psychic. just saw the Ark of the covenant yeah, or no. Yeah. That's the psychic guy. It's like he, guy gets... he melts. Like he saw the Ark of the covenant. Yep. Um, Oh, and that's that's what happens to the billionaire is like he it merges with him and he becomes this weird demon monster who's like half the thing that came out of the rock and half himself trapped in his body, wailing inconsolably because he's now a weird monster. Yeah, Uh, who eventually finds his way to the L.A. River. Uh, Sophia Batella is in this and she uh, I don't don't remember exactly. I think she also melts in, in a different kind of way, like her full body melts, I believe. Yeah, because she touches it and then it just melts her body for some reason. Uh, Don't know why. Uh, And then uh, the the lackey of Peter Weller shows up with a gold AK-47 that Peter Weller (laughs) just has for some fucking reason, starts shooting the the now merged creature. uh, And then it just electrically shocks him to death uh, as 
the astrophysicist and the musician drive away as fast as possible in this sports car. Yeah. So, uh, not much of a, like, uh, again, not much of a, a lesson behind this. Just, you know, fucking wild shit, you know, uh, mixed with fantastic cinematography and maybe an overabundance of digital film grain. I enjoyed the ride on this one. It was pretty wild. Um, yeah. It just it just kind of leaves it open at the end because this monster just gets away from the house and is just like in the city now. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, believe me, I'm I'm here for I'm here for that kind of weird shit where just things happen for some reason. Yeah. What a curiosity. And thankfully, it's held within this cabinet. <laughs> And our final story is uh, The Murmuring. So this is a Jennifer Kent thing. uh, And it's all about uh, this couple who are uh, big into these birds called Dumlins? Dumlins? Something like that? Yeah. Dunlings? Something like that. Uh, And they they talk about this thing called uh, The Murmur where they have like these weird movements that are completely synchronized and no one understands how they make these movements in, in their life. So they're, they go to this remote Island to uh, capture these, these movements uh, in order to figure out, you know, potentially why they do such things. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, the flocks of birds will like wheel around in the air and like none of them ever collide. And it's like, how do they know? Which way to fly? Like, how oh do they God, communicate how did they it? Get there? It's like, maybe they have, like, a low-grade telepathy, and then everybody laughs. Yeah. Uh, but the real story is that these two researchers are uh, a couple who all the love has gone out of their marriage because uh, she's not dealing with the death of their child. And he's just like, Hey, I want to actually have a relationship with you, and I don't know how to proceed with that. Yeah. And she's just like, don't touch me. I have a headache. Uh, I'm not in the mood, blah, blah, blah. So, like, this is this is a standard Jennifer Kent story where it she wants to do more with the family than the actual horror. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just not how I vibe with horror, you know? Uh, yeah. It, it turns out to be a haunted house thing that has nothing to do with her losing the child or, uh, them studying birds. She just sees a ghost a couple times. And then she's like, I should deal with the death of my child. And then the ghost is gone. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's supposed to be for her, like, because the mother drowned the the, the the son or something like that. And so, like, because they lost the child, I guess she feels responsible. So she has to, like, coach the kid through it be like, hey, you did nothing wrong. Like, nothing happened to you. Like, it's this was never your fault. And then as the mother plunges herself to suicide, I guess, uh, or like the spirit plunges herself to suicide again. She's like, oh, this could have been me. Maybe I should deal with the problems because if I don't, I could wind up being like this woman. So, like, I get it. It's just the way Jennifer Kent approaches these kind of stories just doesn't vibe with me. And the person who 
does these stories better is Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I know you won't get Mike Flanagan on this, but you know, maybe just get Mike Flanagan on this, make him do one of these. But yeah, it's, it's Jennifer Kent. If you like Jennifer Kent stuff, you probably are going to like this, but if you're like me and Caleb, who do not like Jennifer Kent stuff, the Bob Duke, uh, you will probably not like this. And I didn't even realize it was the Babatook uh, person. So yeah, that's, that makes me. That's why I kept referring to it. enjoy it less. Yeah. I mean, that's why I kept saying Jennifer Kent, because like that's that's her big thing. And then she also did this movie called The Nightingale, which I also didn't really appreciate what it was doing at all. So, yeah, she's just not a director for me, which is fine. It happens. Yeah. So. Thank you, Guillermo del Toro, for showing me all of the things in your dubious dresser. You just have the source up, don't you? Uh, no, I'm I'm ripping most of these right off the top of the dome. So okay, okay, I'm proud of you then. So, <laughs> all right, uh, this has been an extra long episode, but I, I felt like you know necessary to gush about parts of these. Uh, yeah, you know. Really enjoyable. Uh, next week on the show, we'll be doing the new Millie Bobby Brown movie, uh, Enola Holmes 2. I don't know why I have just Enola Holmes on here, but uh, Enola Holmes 2, uh, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, and then on the back half of that, we'll be doing a patron request review for City Slickers from Jason the Nerdrovert. Have you ever seen it before? I have not. I am excited. Billy Crystal, uh, Billy Crystal and Daniel Stern. Those are the people I know in it. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the guy who in it, who's the main character that isn't Billy Crystal or Daniel Stern. I don't think I know him from anything else, but he's there uh, in the sequel. He's replaced by John Lovitz and the movie is better for it. <laughs> Jack Pounce, Daniel Stern, Bruno Kirby. I'm trying to see if I know anybody else. Jeffrey Tambor's in this. Yeardley Smith's in this. Huh. Weird. Jack Pounce. That's not him. Oh, well. Yeah, that's it. So uh, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find the show at Netflixlesswill.com if you want to stop shop for all things Netflix and Swill. Uh, check out uh, our Patreon page. Check out Two Peas on a Podcast. Check out Rabbit Ears TV Podcast. Do all of these things as I command you to. Go check out Space Weather. They are... Uh, the ones who made the intro and outro song of our show, which is called Bitter. And, uh, all right, uh, let's please leave because this has yeah, been, we're, this is late, several this hours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gerald's going to see how long this episode is and be like, Gerald's fuck these guys in particular. Stroke. So, uh, but that's fine. I had a stroke thinking of Gerald. So. Uh, until next week, this is Caleb saying we'll see you next Tuesday. Netflix and Swill is an independent podcast. 
As such, we believe in the scrappy underdogs of the podcast world. If you're an indie podcast and would like us to run your promo on our show, please contact us. The little guys need to stick together. If you enjoy what we're doing, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and telling a friend. The more we grow, the better the show will be. Thank you for being part of the Netflix and Swole family.